0: Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? My name is Josiah. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Community Bible Church. Uh, If you're here for the first time this morning, welcome. Glad you could join us this morning. Um, I'm filling in for Pastor Bob this morning. He, in his family yesterday, celebrated the life of Denise's father, John, who's very near and dear to to Bob and the whole family. So he's taking the weekend off to just be with family and, and process and celebrate John's life and our, our prayers and, and thoughts are certain, certainly still with the family, and, um, but I'm excited to, to be with you here this morning. Um, my sophomore year of college, I, I went to school up in San Luis Obispo, up on the Central Coast, truly God's country, and I lived on Grand Avenue, which is kind of the main road going up to Cal Poly because I wasn't smart enough to get into Cal Poly. So I had to go to the city college. And I lived with these three awesome Christian guys. We lived in this little two-bedroom house, and we decided to put all of our desks and computers in one room and all of our beds in the other. It was like summer camp. It was pretty sweet. Uh, we'd do these things every Thursday night where we'd take our whole living room and put it onto the lawn. We called it dinner on the lawn, and we would just, like, talk to people. <sighs> God, just the best, man. I love it. And I had hair, so it was just a great time. But my fit, one of our, the most important times of the year for us is when our parents would come and visit. And when the parent, any one of our parents would come and visit, the first thing we would do is say to them is, can we go to Costco, please? And we'd load up, and we'd all go to Costco, and we'd get the, the, just the bare essentials for life. Pizzas, eggo waffles, chicken bakes, chicken fettuccine, just you know the, the stuff that you need to, to survive. And the last thing we would always get is this, the Kirkland Signature Jelly Belly, and it's just the jelly beans, and it's, it's a marvelous thing, and we'd spend two, three, four days, maybe a week, picking through our favorite flavors, green apple, blue raspberry, lemon, cherry, watermelon, all the, all the great flavors, and about maybe a week, week and a half in, it would just kind of go up and sit on our fridge and start clucking dust, because the only thing left would be buttered popcorn, like. Plum. Like some sort of like banana apricot hybrid or something. You're just like, oh, who's eating this? Like this is no good. And with jelly beans, it's one thing to pick and choose. That's it's great. They're they jelly beans. But I think often our, our approach to the scripture can can be the same way. That we love to consume the encouraging verses, the verses verses of blessing. You know, the Jeremiah twenty nine eleven the John three sixteen the verses that we can hold on to, to give us hope that point to, to a future, the point to God's love to his blessing for us, to his sacrifice, we hold on to those verses, but then there's other verses and other passages like the one we're about to encounter today that we go, uh, that doesn't taste so good and I, it doesn't really apply to me or I don't really know how to interpret it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it up on the fridge and we'll deal with that another time. And my hope for us today is that in a difficult passage like this, in any difficult passage in scripture that we would recall and believe what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3:16 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. That we must not eat his we must not treat his word like a half-eaten jar of jelly beans but rather something to fully consume and wrestle with, even if we don't like the taste. And as James confronts us with a difficult passage today, that's in fact quite confrontational. My encouragement for you is not to check out, not to assume this isn't for you, but to lean in to hear what God has for you today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, even the parts that aren't easy. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we'd be able to hear it and examine our own our, own hearts, our, own, our own hearts, God, of where we're at with you, God. Thank you, your son's name, amen. If you would, you can turn to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Last week, uh, Bob skipped ahead to verse 7 for Mother's Day and talked about patience. And in the staff meeting this last week, we were kind of talking, and someone said, hey, Josiah, it seems like you always get like the kind of downer stuff. And I went, what do you mean? And they went, let's examine this. In December, you taught on brokenness during our Christmas series, oh yeah, and then you got Good Friday, and I'm like, oh yeah, then I got this one, so Bob, wherever you are, I'm on to you, you sly dog, you, I'm on to you. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you, on you, excuse me, your wealth has rotted, And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So, this probably isn't like the passage that you have like on your wall as people walk into your home. If it is, wow, cool. Uh, but this isn't, this isn't one of those, those, those like passages, right? This is difficult, this is confrontational. And James begins by rebuking the wealthy. In verse one, he says, Now listen, there are other translations say, Come now. And in both cases, he's exhorting someone to, li- to listen, and he's exhorting the rich to listen. Now, this might be the first point where you go, Josiah, I'm not rich. I am not rich. Like, I, with paycheck to paycheck, I'm in debt. My house is super tiny. You wouldn't believe how old my car is. Trust me, I am not rich. And compared to many in Southern California, yeah, maybe you're not quote-unquote rich. But compared to the rest of the world, you and I are all in the 1%. We all turn on a spigot and water comes out magically. None of us have to walk for water or for food. We have we have everything we need at our fingertips. We are the, the 1%. And James' scathing condemn- condemnation of the rich today isn't solely about money and power, but rather on how money and power are used and how they're used against people. And this morning, there's three things I want us to examine in light of this passage. And the first one is this, are we more concerned with treasures on earth or are treasures in heaven? James 5 sees James turning his attention from the business people who are kind of doing things in some shady ways in chapter 4 to wealthy Jewish landowners who are in control of much of the land, the power and the status in, in Galilee. And to so them, he says, Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. This is prophetic language speaking of the distress and sorrow that they should feel over their actions. I know most of us don't want to have that feeling of weeping and wailing, right? Like, I don't think any of us go to the store or we buy things, we go, Oh, wow, I should really be weeping and wailing. We, we kind of just go, No, it's fine. And this morning, We'll get to that in a second. Um, So he's speaking of of this this misery that's to come for them. And again, this isn't about how much power they have. It isn't about how much influence. It's all about how they're using it. Verses 2 and 3, he speaks to a materialistic lifestyle when he says, "'Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. "'Your gold and silver are corroded. "'Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. "'You have hoarded wealth in your last days.'" This is the exact opposite of the verse that Brittany shared with us from Matthew earlier, where he just says, store up your treasures in heaven, where they won't decay, where they won't corrode, where moths can't can't get to them. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have, you can't take it with you. The pharaohs were wrong. You you can't get buried with your stuff and and take it with you. It all is going to corrode. I remember in December driving up around the hills and on to Londo after the fires. And just, craziness. Most of you did the same. You saw the destruction up there. Seeing these beautiful homes and yards and pools that a fire comes through and it's just, it's gone. It's charred and it's black. In an instant, people lost everything. The stuff that you and I have, unfortunately, same thing is going to happen to it eventually. It's all going to burn. And I'm not here today to tell you, you, you're, you guys are materialistic. You buy too many things. I'm not here to tell you, this is how, how much you should have, and this is how much you shouldn't have. I'm not, I'm not interested in being the, the judge over you and, and doing that today. But I will say that each one of us needs to have a conversation in our own hearts with the Lord of, am I too materialistic? Do I care too much about my stuff? Are my priorities in order? Does my heart care more about God's treasures, the things of Him, or the next and best thing in my life? And I think we can all think back to the moments in our lives where we've really saved up for something, and then we bought that thing, and then it ultimately kind of led us to disappointment. First time I can remember, like, just saving up for something, I was, like seven or eight. Uh, and there was this video game for the Super Nintendo called Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. And it was so sweet. Like, the graphics were cutting edge. I could play with Ken Griffey Jr. It was awesome. And so it was like a $60 video game. And so for an eight-year-old, $60 is, like, pff, a lot of money. <laughs> Still a lot of money. Anyways, um, but I remember, like, doing my allowance, getting my allowance for all my chores and finally saving up. Remember, my, my dad took me to Circuit City. Uh, for the high schooler, Circuit City was an electronics store. Let me back up. A store is a place you go to buy things. Sorry, that's just, gotta clarify that. Um, so I went to the store, and I bought the video game. I remember I took it home, and I played it, and I played it for a couple months, and I remember one day, like, this is kind of boring. What's the next game I can get? What's, what's the next thing? I think we've all kind of been there, right? Like, what's, okay, what's the next thing? Like, the anticipation we have for whatever it is always pales in comparison to the actual thing itself. Jim Carrey was one of the, the biggest actors of, of the 90s. Guy was in, like, all the top grossing comedies and dramas later on. He was, he was the man. And this is what Jim Carrey had to say about his wealth. I hope everybody can get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they will, they will know it's not the answer. So here's Jim Carrey, like top of the world in Hollywood, right? Dumb and Dumber, Liar, Liar, all these great, great movies of the 90s, right? Fantastic movies. <laughs> Just high quality, <laughs> super great movies. And he's at the height of Hollywood. And you think he would come out and go, you know what, guys? I did it. I made all this money. I'm super famous. I am really happy. I'm Jim Carrey. I'm the best. And maybe he felt that way for a little bit, but as he's had time to reflect back, he said, I, I wish all of you could have the wealth and fame and success that I've had so that you could see I'm, I'm still searching. I'm still broken. I'm still trying to fill this hole in my heart that Wealth and, and success can't fill for me. I'm still searching for that. When we are more concerned about the treasures of this world than the treasures promised us in heaven, might indicate a lack of trust in God. That we don't quite trust God enough that the things that he promises us, promises us in heaven are, are enough. Or it might, it might indicate some pride in our hearts that we, the things that we've accumulated, the success we've had is from our own success, our own pride, our, our own wisdom, and hey, I've earned this. What God can give me can't certainly be better. But everything will corrode, everything will disappear. And with that knowledge, is our heart focused more on what we have or what is to come? Do we measure our worth on what we accumulate, or do we measure it on how we're affecting our communities, how we're loving those around us, how we're furthering the kingdom? Second point this morning, are we using our wealth and power to manipulate others? In verse 4 through 6, man, James... He really goes after him, and he says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of the slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. As I was preparing for this week, this was kind of the part of the text that I struggled with for a little bit. Because they're talking to these landowners who are willfully mistreating their employees. Willfully treating them awful, leading to condemnation, to murder. And I would hope for that those of you in this room who own businesses, who have employees, who run payroll, that you wouldn't be in a place where you're swindling people. That you would be honoring contracts and agreements. That you would be doing what you said to do. Said you were going to do. And if you're not, then come find me after and <laughs> let's talk some more about that. But my hope would be that all of us in this room, we get that, right? Like, hey, let's, let's pay people what they, should, what they should be given. And just because maybe we're not doing that doesn't mean that we can't have hearts that, that are looking to manipulate or game the system with the power that we have. There are a myriad of ways we can use positions of power To point out, to to use our power for our own good and not in the way that that God intended for that power to be used. And our power, do we constantly remind people of how great we are? Do we constantly lord ourselves over people? And our power, do we make little smaller marks like, man, I've really done a lot for you. You really should be, you you have a lot to be thankful for because of me. Does our power make other people feel small? Does our power about elevating ourselves? When I was in college, I was interning at this church, and I just started working there. And I remember I pulled in one morning, I parked in front of the church, and about a half hour later, someone comes up to me and says, hey, um, you need to move your car. I was like, oh, okay, like, am I in a handicapped spot or a fire hydrant? I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm moving. No, you're in the senior pastor's spot. I went, oh, I'm the senior pastor's spot, okay. So I moved my car, and I missed a sign that said, Reserved for the senior pastor. And one of my favorite things about Bob, he's, he's not here, but I'll talk about, about it on his back. It's a good thing, though, so it's okay. Is that every Sunday morning when I pull in, I always see Bob's car way in the back. He doesn't say anything about it. He parks in the very back, and he, and he walks in, and it's such a small thing, right? It's like, okay, he parks in the back, Who cares? But he could easily be like, hey, I'm the senior pastor. I'm going to park right up here. or I'm going to park right here in the stall next to the kids' playground. And hey, I'm the senior pastor. I can, I can do that. I'm in charge here or whatever. But no, he parks in the very back as just a small act of service. As a small act of saying, I'm going to save one spot for someone who's new to park a little closer. I'm going to save one spot for maybe someone who's got a a little bit harder time getting to the church to do than I do. I'm going to save one spot for someone who got here really late because it was a disaster with their kids this morning, and they just need a small break to to have a halfway decent spot to park in. That's what being a servant is. And I love that Bob models that in so many different ways for, for us and for myself. And our power, do we take on the attitude of Jesus? You know, if there was anybody who could have said, hey, serve me, it would have been Jesus, right? He's God incarnate. He, he is God in flesh. He could have easily come to this earth and like, look, I'm going to die for all of your sins soon. It's going to be awful. So in the meantime, like, how about you guys just like make with the grapes and like make me feel good. You know what I mean? Like he could be like, hey, give me, let's, I'm going I'm to live in this big house. I'm going to ride on the, on, the, on the best horse. He's Jesus. He could have done that. Like, look, I'm going to die for your sins, so you guys can serve me for a little bit, and then I'll, I'll serve you by dying for you. No, not at all. Jesus' entire life is a model of service to us. In Mark 10, verses 43 to 45, he says, Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not not come to be served, but to say, but did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, it's easy to look our life at our lives. Go, I'm not like these people in James. Like I'm not, I'm not withholding payments to people. I'm not killing people. I'm a good person. I'm not misusing my power in terrible ways. And that's probably true of most of you. But the question remains, are you using the the, the power that you have and the status that you have for God's glory or for your own? Is your power about expanding his kingdom or is it merely about expanding your own? Are you a servant to those who are beneath you or do you use your power to make those beneath you prop you up and serve you? If we claim to be Christians, Christ followers, our first goal should be to act like Jesus, to use our power just to serve people, to lift up others instead of ourselves. Lastly this morning, regardless of what you have, we must be faithful with it. Again, it's easy to look at this passion and go, hey, Josiah, I'm a student. Like I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I have no power that I can point to. I have no status. I'm struggling to keep my head above the water. And yeah, I get that. But when Jesus and the writers of the Bible speak of, of wealth, they speak of status, it's never about how much land someone has, and it's never about how much is in their bank account. It's about the heart. And you can be the wealthiest person in the world. You can have have all the money, all the land, all the success. And you can still have a heart that pleases the Lord because you put him first. Because you freely use the resources you have to bless others. That you point to God at every turn. that That he's the reason for the success you have. And conversely, you can be Barely making ends meet, hardly have a cent to your name, and your heart can grieve the Lord over your selfishness, over your pride, over over the lack of a servant heart. Regardless of what we have, will be, will we be faithful to use whatever wealth or power we have, and the ways and opportunities that God has given us? You know this this James passage towards the the rich is like. Punch in the stomach, right? It's pretty harsh. And Paul conversely in, in 1 Timothy talks to the rich and he does it in a, in a way that's a bit more encouraging but still still convicting. And, and we'll close this morning with this in 1 Timothy 6.17. And Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God has blessed you and I in different facets and in different ways, but we've all been blessed. And the question is, will we hold on tightly to what we have or will we freely release it because we know that God is the giver of all good gifts? That when we release, he will be faithful to bless. Will we put our hope and trust in God or in the tangible things that we can hold on to in this world? Will our focus be on the treasures of this life or the next? Will our focus be on how I can be served or are on how I can serve others. You know, as we read passages that make us uncomfortable, that we think we can dismiss, may we not treat them like jelly beans. May we not treat them as something we can just put on the fridge and, and put away and leave alone. May we allow God to speak through us through difficult criticism. And may our hearts be charged. May they be sparked. to not hold on to what we have, but to be rich in good deeds and to love God through every facet of our lives. Let's pray.